It's lovely to be with you. Um, and uh, Simon and Gaynor do send their love. We're keeping them busy. In fact, they're both preaching and leading worship today. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they get on with that. Um, but we are enjoying working with them. Um, we kind of lead the church together, which is really fun to do that. It's kind of a bit like entering into another marriage, really. We make sure we're communicating and you know, all of that. Um, but uh, so far, that's going really well, and we're enjoying it. Lovely to see Len and Debbie, our friends there. Yeah. It seems like every time we come down to Oxford to speak on anything to do with missions, Len and Debbie are here, which is a little unnerving because they are a great authority on this subject. But uh, lovely to see you again, and uh, bless you. I look forward to catching up over a coffee. Actually, I realized that I think the last time I was in an OCC meeting was probably 25 years ago. I've been here when we've had a conference and we've all gathered together, but in a regular OCC meeting, I came to visit my sister and her fiancé, who were studying in Oxford, and um, my church background was kind of Anglican, um, so we came to this church meeting in a cinema. So for me, that was a bit of a cross-cultural experience in itself, um, and yet I remember just being impacted by the presence of God in the worship. I'm glad to say the same thing happened again today, that that same sense of God's presence in worship is here with you, and it really touched me. Uh, I know it's kind of traditional to say a few nice words when you come as a guest preacher, but uh, we really do honor you guys here in Oxford for your history of sending people on, training and sending out, sending them into other parts of the UK, into Europe, and into the nations. And uh, we admire that, and uh, we want to emulate that. And I know there's a few people here who will probably be being sent off before long as well. We're also rather jealous of what you're doing with Tyndale and this new school that's getting going. We would love to sort of multiply what's happening with Christian education um, in Derby. And I just see it's such a key way to engage with other cultures. Uh, So really pray God's blessing on what's going on with that. So thanks for inviting us to share about our passion. There's nothing we'd rather speak about really than engaging with other cultures and uh, seeing the harvest of the nations brought into the kingdom. And uh, it's a fra- the phrase you used, Andy, is a phrase that we've really lodged with us, that we want to look like the city we're in. And Derby is a very diverse city. Karina. Great. Um, my name's Karina. I'm married to Adam, which is very wonderful. Um, and we have three teenage children, and it, it kind of is lovely watching those. We have a boy and two girls, so watching... Um, little hope get dedicated. I have to say, having teenagers is just a breeze. So, you know, those who've got small kids, look forward to it. No ups and downs. It's great. They're really helpful. <laughs> They're great, our teenagers. It's an interesting journey. But um, our son Isaac is in Tanzania with a school trip at the moment, and our daughters Kezia and Eden are somewhere out there with the youth having a great time, I'm sure. We had a good journey down. We had a McDonald's breakfast. That was nice. Um, but I think, I think the McMuffins are getting smaller. Does anybody else think the McMuffins are getting smaller? <laughs> I, I felt they'd, they'd got a little bit smaller. Um, so um, uh, back in Derby, what do I do? Um, I try and help Adam and the team uh, with leading the church. Um, I also run an organization called Upbeat. And what we do is we try and help to integrate new people into the city welcome them, support them, and help ordinary Derby folks get involved with the blessing of uh, welcoming people from other cultures 
Um, so that's what I do um, most of the time. I don't do a lot of housework, which is bad, really, isn't it? But um, I, I usually find more exciting things to do. Uh, we love living in a multicultural context, so we live in the, in the centre of Derby. Um, and I believe it's a really significant time in the UK. Do you know there's a, a seismic shift going on in the UK? Of the 7.5 million foreign-born residents in England and Wales... Um, more than half arrived in the last 10 years. So there's a massive shift in terms of migration. Um, our contexts are changing. Uh, maybe we can just put up the, the PowerPoint. Um, Derby is a very diverse city. About 25% of the city um, are from, uh, from non-white ethnic communities. Um, it was 15% in 2001. That is a massive change in the city. Oxford, 22% of your residents, I think, are from a black or minority ethnic group, and an additional 14% are from a white but non-British ethnic background. So I don't know, maybe Polish migrant. You'll know the makeup of your city better. Um, in Derby, we have lots of um, Asians, Indians, Pakistanis, but also lots of people from unreached people groups, Somalia, Eritrea, Iran, Afghanistan... Kurdistan, just lots and lots of people from unreached groups. So uh, really exciting opportunity and a huge task to welcome and try and integrate all these people into our society. And if any of you read the newspapers and watch the media, you know that's a big challenge in our cities and a big challenge for our nation. Um, but we're excited. We've, we've been on this journey a while now and, um, and just been learning a lot as we go. But we're excited about Three or four years ago, if you looked across our congregation, I think probably about 5% would have been non-white. I think it's more like 15 to 20% now. So we're, we're really excited. We're, we're not where we want to be, but we feel God is just doing something in our time in changing the makeup of our church. So we, we want to share some of that journey, share the challenges, share what we've been doing, um, and really share some of the excitement about maybe what God wants to do here as well. Um, so, Adam, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Clicker. Okay. Um, so we've by no means arrived yet, but um, the journey for us um, in, in Derby really took an interesting turn at around 2002 when we got together with a group of other brave souls who felt up for reaching out to some of the people who had arrived in the city um, from other nations, and particularly these communities, many of them coming as refugees, who had arrived from nations where there was no church and almost no opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And they were arriving in quite large numbers in Derby at that time. So we thought, well, here's a great opportunity. So we moved house into the city center, a team moved with us, and we began to think, how do we do this? Where do we start? There's so many nationalities. Um, Perhaps we should choose one and just focus in and really try and get into that culture. And we were sort of exploring those questions and praying about it. But as we did that, I had a bit of a dawning realization that that might not be the answer in a culturally diverse city. I read recently that, um, certainly in the States, and it's probably the case here, that 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week culturally speaking. And that's because whilst we might work in a cross-cultural environment and live with neighbors of all sorts of different ethnicities, Sunday morning we all tend to go to our 
ethnically monocultural church expression. It's the most segregated hour of the week. And as we reflected on that, we thought, actually, is that God's heart? So as I began to look into this, um, God really began to open something up for me. So if we look, for instance, at what's going on in the heavenly realms and what God's destiny is for us, we read in Revelation 7 of a great multitude from every nation. Revelation 7 verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a picture of the worship before the throne of God that's going on even at this moment. And we're to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I don't think it's a segregated situation up in heaven. However, I should also say, I don't think that it's a sort of dull blend either. That actually, we see in the scriptures God enjoying the culturally distinct and diverse worship of many nations. When I was a kid at school, we used to get the Neapolitan ice cream. Do you remember that one with the pink and the vanilla and the chocolate? And we used to love stirring it up and mixing it up into a sort of mush. But it would go this horrible pinky brown grey colour, which we would then enjoy consuming. (laughs) Um, But uh, (laughs) Thanks, Karina. (laughs) Um, But actually, God God is not looking for that, I don't think, when he's looking to enjoy the worship of the nations. He's looking for us to bring our distinctive cultural expression before his throne. But then if we look at what was going on in the early church, how did they tackle living in a very culturally diverse situation? Even as early as Acts chapter 6, as they were just getting going, we read of a tension where the Greek widows didn't feel that they were getting fed in the same way that the Hebrew widows were going on. And so they had to appoint deacons to make sure that the different cultures were being treated fairly. So they were wrestling with cultural diversity as early as that stage. Um, Then in Acts chapter 13, as we read about the leadership of the church that had emerged in Antioch, we read, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, if you look a bit more closely, we remember that Barnabas was actually from Cyprus, Simeon, he's called Niger because he presumed he was a black man. Lucius from Cyrene was from North Africa. Menaean, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so maybe a Palestinian Jewish background. And Saul, who was actually from Tarsus, which is kind of in eastern Turkey. So the leadership team themselves were culturally diverse, which gives you an indication of what the church must have been like in Antioch, right there at the very beginning, really, of the spread into Europe. And then we only have to read in the epistles as Paul is trying to give counsel to the churches, just as we read this morning from Colossians, about how they work out being one and yet having all their cultural differences, the the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews and their different traditions about food and all that sort of thing. So culturally diverse church seems to have been there right from the foundations of the early church. 
And it was a challenge back then. But then what really interested me is when I began to realize that Jesus didn't just land this idea on the disciples just before leaving. It's almost like an afterthought. Okay, guys, by the way, you're to go to all the nations and make disciples, which would have been a bit harsh, really, wouldn't it? Actually, if we look closely at the way Jesus trained his disciples, he was training them to engage across cultures right from the start. For instance, um, why did Jesus base himself in Capernaum? We read in Mark chapter 4 that leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, a very strategic move, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. He actually centered his ministry in an area which was culturally mixed. And we remember the story of the centurion whose servant was sick. He was the guy who had actually invested in the building of the synagogue in Capernaum. And you can go and see it today. I've actually seen it. This synagogue still stands, or bits of it, built with the investment of a non-Jewish centurion because it was a culturally diverse area which allowed that kind of encounter so that Jesus could show his disciples how do we relate to a non-Jew who actually wants to encounter God and see his servant healed. And so we read on the story of the Gadarene demoniac Jesus' disciples had crossed over the lake into a non-Jewish area. And he was modeling to his disciples that the grace of God is bigger than you think. It's reaching out to others. The Samaritan leper, he was the one of the ten who came back and thanked Jesus. He wasn't Jewish, he was a Samaritan. And of course, the famous story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, the Jew. Jesus' disciples, they had a bit of an issue with the Samaritans. In fact, they wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritan villages because they weren't being very welcoming. Jesus was constantly having to chip away at their prejudice, their racial blindness. So we get the story of him encountering the Canaanite woman who wanted healing for her daughter. And you can see Jesus almost playing a little bit of a game with his disciples. So he's got the disciples there and the woman there, and he's saying, well, surely... We shouldn't give the children's bread to the dogs. You think, that's not a very kind thing to say to this poor woman. Well, I think Jesus actually had his disciples in mind because a good Jew would have thought of the Gentiles as being like dogs. And he's provoking them. Is this how we treat a non-Jew? And of course, she gets the idea and plays along with it and says, ah, but even the, the, the dogs can eat what falls from the table. And Jesus blesses her faith and the healing comes, and there's a little bit of a lesson for his disciples. No, we're not going to hold back, even if it means crossing over into another culture. We see Jesus feeding 5,000 in the Jewish region of Galilee, and 4,000 in the Gentile region of the Decapolis. He's showing them again. This is how we cross over into other cultures, challenging their cultural prejudice. So God wants us to make room for other cultures because we are one. It's not like we have to become one. We're already one in Christ, a people of God from every nation. And I think perhaps the most dramatic example of this was when Jesus went into the temple. So we read in Mark 11, verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, 
Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Why was he doing this? And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, the fact was, can put up the next slide, that the temple was designed with the inner courts, which were for the Jews, and nearer the center just for the Jewish men, and then you have the Holy of Holies. But all around that was the court of the Gentiles, which, and when we read about the first temple being built by Solomon, he actually prayed that the nations would come to the temple and that prayers would be answered as they met with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it had this huge expanse, the court of the Gentiles. And then as it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and later by Herod, they maintained that huge outer area. You can get an idea from this sort of artist's impression of the scale of it, several football pitches. And yet by the time of Jesus, it was crammed full of the People's buying and selling. There wasn't any space for the nations to come and pray. And Jesus comes in with a sort of prophetic act, challenging what was going on in the temple and reminding them that it's to be a house of prayer for all nations. Well, we might say, well, that's all very interesting. That was the temple. That was then. But hang on. Aren't we the temple of God today? In fact, each one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit So there's a question, isn't there? How big is my outer court? Am I leaving space for people of other nations in my own heart? And as the people of God today here, have we created space for the nations to come in? Why do we do that? Well, not just because it's sort of right and proper, but actually because Jesus really loves people of other nations and other cultures. He's passionate that they should know his love and his goodness as, well, as much as we do. And when, as long as they're living out in the darkness, out on the edges, it grieves his heart. And he wants them to come right into the center and to enjoy fellowship with him and with us. So we want to make room. Can we move on to the next slide? It's three steps to building church in a multicultural context. And the first one is that actually we need to make room in our hearts. After Corinne and I had moved into the city centre in Derby, one of the projects we got going is we actually got the lease to run a newly built cafe in the park right there in the city centre. We thought, well, this is great. This puts us right in the centre of things. We had some of our refugee friends working as volunteers in the cafe. It was very exciting, and we were making all sorts of tasty food. What we hadn't counted on was a sort of territorials thing that was going on with some of the Asian youth. And we had arrived on their patch So they thought, okay, here's a cafe. We're going to hang out in the cafe and be as loud and as obnoxious as we want to be. And uh, this made things a little bit tense. And there were one or two occasions where we actually had to call the police. And I found myself being quite challenged on how much I loved this other culture. Because I had these Asian young lads calling me a racist, which I thought was such a strange irony. Because I'd moved into the city centre to reach out to other nations. And they were calling me a racist because uh, you know, they didn't like the way that um, we were handling things on their patch. And then, of course, I had to deal with my attitude, because then as I'd walk through the park for about a year afterwards, I'd get sworn at by these youth. 
This isn't right. I'm angry. I don't like these people. Do I love them? And I wonder how many of us have had perhaps some negative experiences. I should think many of us from folk of other cultures. And that can begin to breed something, a little bit of a, if if not a resentment, certainly a coldness. I remember the first time I walked into the Kurdish cafe on Normanton Road where we live. I was excited about building friendships with Kurds. And I walked in and it all went quiet and they all looked at me. It was like a moment from a sort of Clint Eastwood film. It had saloon doors, this cafe. And I, to my shame, I turned around and I walked out again. I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just walked out again. And it was probably many months later that I walked back into that cafe. And you know, I was so warmly welcomed in that cafe that after my meal, they said, oh no, you don't need to pay, don't pay. I thought, oh, that's really nice. So I didn't pay not realizing that I was meant to argue the point and in fact to try and offer more money than they were charging me. I didn't get it at all. It's amazing that the Kurds have ever been nice to me since. Anyway, I had a lot to learn. Um, And one of the things that I learned at that time was something, I did a course on community development and I learned about something which is called social dominance theory. And it goes like this, human social hierarchy consists of a hegemonic group, the group that kind of dictate things that are in power, a hegemonic group at the top and negative reference groups at the bottom. And as they began to explain what this meant, they kind of went through what, what are the power levels, the strata in our society? And they were kind of describing who's at the top of British society. And I was in this very mixed class and they began to describe who's at the top and I began to get rather quiet because it was White people, male people, educated white male people. Basically, they were kind of just describing me. And then they were describing who was at the bottom of the pile. And it was sort of ethnic minorities, um, not educated, immigrant, refugee. I was sitting next to my Congolese refugee friend, who, according to that description, was right at the bottom of the ladder. And... I was so challenged by this. I realized that God has put me in this position of tremendous influence, as he has with us here in this room. Tremendous influence and power with the opportunity to make a huge difference to those who find themselves at the bottom of that social scale. And that's a responsibility. Are we going to be agents of reconciliation in our society? And is the church going to take a lead in this. I made friends during that time with a Kurdish guy who had arrived as a refugee and we used to sit in his flat and he showed me photographs of his wife and his four kids who were waiting for him in Iraq, hoping and praying that he would get permission to stay in the UK. And it was years and years and we got to know each other quite well and He sort of talked about his disillusionment with Islam and uh, he was kind of interested in the gospel and we read some Bible stories together. Anyway, the great day came when not only had he got his permission to stay in the UK, but his family were able to come and join him. And we remember that we were walking in the park with his wife and his kids and our two girls holding hands with his little girl who was 
three or four, his youngest one. And the only English she knew was the alphabet. So they were singing, going along singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G through the park. It was really sweet. And um, our friendship has just grown and grown since then. Um, so I've met some of his relatives. I've met his uh, sister who's living in Norway and her family. And um, he would constantly say, oh, you must come and visit Kurdistan. If you ever get the opportunity, you must come back to Iraq and visit our families. And last year, Karina and I had the opportunity to fly out to northern Iraq and to visit actually a number of families or relatives of people that we have got to know in Derby. And they treated us like royalty, incredibly hospitable. I mean, it was so humbling. And uh, we stayed with my Kurdish friend, Azadin, his brother, Nuruddin. And Nuruddin is a big man in the community. He's a war veteran held in high regard. And uh, he has opened doors for us into all sorts of things. So he's opened the door into the local refugee camp where the Syrian refugees have been pouring in. And um, just just over a month ago, we took 10 from the church to stay in his home, all of us, and to go every day into the refugee camp where we did a children's holiday club. And I took my daughter, Kezia, and he's got to, she's got to know his daughters. And now they're friends on Facebook. And um, now we're talking about maybe taking a women's team to the women's refuge out there. And it's just fascinating how God's opening one door after another into an unreached people group, the Kurds of northern Iraq, and how they've warmly received us right into their homes, into their families. And while we were there with our team of 10, we did a sort of a Bible study devotion every day. And Nouradin, our host, wanted to sit in and join in. He wouldn't miss it every day. And when he came to visit Derby to see his brother, he brought his brother to our Sunday morning meetings. And his brother now comes regularly. He doesn't particularly enjoy the preaching or anything. He says, I love the music. I would never have guessed that. So it's just fascinating what God is doing there. So we need to make room in our hearts. And I've actually found a lot of space for some of these people I can't be a close friend to all of them, but God has joined my heart to one or two, and it's exciting to see what God's doing with that. Karina. Am I on? Good. Great. It's exciting being part of uh, this kind of ministry. So making room in our hearts, I I think that's the first thing, isn't it? If if we go without love, then we're just clanging cymbals and gongs. but also making room in our lives. Um, becoming church in a multicultural context, I think it, it, if we leave it to one or two specialists, it's not going to do the job. I think the time has come when all of us are going to need to get involved with reaching the nations. Um, and I think that's something we've got to ask God to do in our hearts. I think in the past, that I think maybe we were a bit afraid of getting involved with other cultures, other religions. We don't know what to do. We might say something wrong. So it's, it's better to leave it to the specialists and uh, we can carry on just working with the Brits. But I think times are changing. And uh, we, we had a lovely testimony last week. There's an older couple in our church called Merv and Liz, sort the earth kind of Derby people. And I think they weren't very sure about all these foreigners in our meetings. You know, there's a big group of Iranians and some Afghans and a few Kurds. And, um, but uh, one Sunday, Paul, who um, helps lead our uh, Persian work, got up and said, please, could, you just, could we have some people to help us just with transport or with hospitality? And Mervyn is thought, well, we can't do very much, but we could invite someone to our house. So they were put in touch with a family 
um, Saraya and Abbas and their son, Puria, from Iran. And Saraya has quite bad MS. And uh, they just liked to get to know this family, invited them to their home, and then they were invited back. And the real, a real sort of uh, loving friendship started to emerge. Uh, it was a few weeks later they came to the Sunday meeting, and it was Father's Day. And uh, Merv was feeling a bit down because four years ago he lost his son. So for him, Father's Day was, was quite a heavy day, quite a sad day. And he was sitting on the meeting until halfway through the meeting when Soraya came up with her walking stick. She knelt down by his side and she put her head on his lap. She said, you're my father now. You're my father and you're my son's grandfather. And, and God had just done something with these two families. He, he said, suddenly I've got a new family. Suddenly I've got a new daughter and a new son and a new grandson. I just thought, how wonderful that God has done that in the heart of someone who really didn't have much of a heart for the nations, but was willing just to do something small, like open their home to a family who had just arrived in Derby. So I think God wants to do uh, something like that amongst us. And, uh, you know, not all of us can become fathers and grandmas, but, but maybe we could, I don't know, have someone around to our house for a meal or give somebody a lift. Um, so we realize there's two things, two keys to this that we, in the church. We need to help people um, connect, and then we need to help equip people. So we do all sorts of different things to help people connect. One, one project that we do that I really love is called Welcome Boxes. I don't know if you can just click, face it backwards. Oh, yeah. Um, welcome boxes. You know, shoe boxes at Christmas time, you've all done those, sent them overseas. We thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could give welcome boxes to people when they arrive in Derby. So uh, we go into schools and we talk about welcoming new arrivals. And we get people to put together a welcome box. And then we have volunteers who are nearly all from our church who go and welcome new arrivals. So when a family arrives in the city, we get a referral from um, the housing, from G4S, that wonderful organization of housing people. And, uh, and we go around with a welcome box. One of our, uh, two of our volunteers uh, rang up a family, and they were a Sri Lankan family, and said, could we come and visit you with a welcome box? And they said, well, you could come tomorrow, and it's our daughter's birthday. So they turned up with a welcome box and a, a special present for the daughter. And they said, is there, is there anything we can help you with? Is there anything that we can do to help you settle in to life in Derby? They said, no, we think we're okay, but we would really like to find a church. I said, well, we can probably help you. <laughs> they weren't Christians. They had Buddhist background. They just wanted, they want, they'd heard about, they wanted to go to church. They came on Sunday morning. We put them in touch with some Sri Lankans in our church. And they're really connected into our church family. I don't know if they're believing in Jesus yet, um, but they're certainly part of our family. So Welcome Boxes has been great. Um, with the Iranians now, an Iranian family arrives in the city. They get a welcome box. They're usually at the Persian meeting by about two days later. So, um, but, you know, just all sorts of blessings that have come as people have cared for, loved. Not all of the people come to church, but, but all of the people feel actually the... You know, when you arrive in a new country, those first people who welcome you, you know, you never forget if you've ever lived in another culture. And, you know, and it's, I don't know, maybe five, ten years on, occasionally I get people say, you bought me a welcome box. I might have even forgotten them. 
I'm sorry, Lord, but, but, they, but they remember the people who welcome them when they first arrive. And wouldn't it be great if everybody who was new to Oxford got welcomed by somebody in the body of Christ? Might not just be this church, might be the churches across the city. Um, because I think God's given us a mandate to welcome the alien and stranger, hasn't he? It, it's a specific command. It's not an option. You are to welcome the alien and stranger in your midst. So um, welcome boxes is a great way um, that people connect. Um, anything, really. I don't know. What do you like to do? I like to sew. Um, click on to the next one. So we have a, um, a sewing group on a Thursday afternoon. Great way to connect with people. Uh, we sew, make things, sell things, um, just a great, fun environment, a very easy place to mix. Um, on Thursday, at the end, everyone had kind of left, and there's a lovely girl called Mahabad, and she's Kurdish. And uh, I know for a long time she's wanted a baby, and she's just been sharing her journey with me. And I said, can I just pray for you during this time of Ramadan? Can I pray that Isa, the healer, would come and heal you and give you a baby? She said, yes, I'd really like that. So we just prayed together. It's a lovely, lovely Muslim girl. So please pray for her that God would answer that prayer and give her a baby. But there's just so many opportunities just through doing the normal things that we like to do. Um, uh, I'm on a bit of a mission to get our business people involved in this at the moment. We do some sort of helping people find work and set up businesses. So a lot of our business people have been mentoring people from ethnic backgrounds in starting their own businesses great way to connect and to help and bless people. So whatever your passion is or your skill is, you can use it to help people from other cultures. There's, there's, no, there's no limits, I don't think. Um, and it's also something we can do as families. I'm just aware there's lots of young families here. You, know, you can pack up a welcome box with your kids and go and visit a family. Be a great cultural experience for them, teaching them about other cultures. Um, really brilliant opportunity. Um, another way to help people connect is actually, um, I think it's very easy to kind of say, what can we do to help you? But a lot of uh, the people from other cultures who come to our cities have got a lot to give. Um, can you just put on the next photo? Oh, English lessons, that's another way to connect, isn't it? Keep going. This is Ali and Sana. Ali and Sana are our good friends. They're a lovely Iranian young couple. They've really struggled. They've come to the UK um, he was in prison a couple of times but they find themselves in Derby and they had really good jobs and really interesting lives and they they are very they they came one morning on a Sunday morning they're, they're not following Jesus yet but they came and asked for prayer and son said I'm so missing my family and I'm so bored and it was probably the wrong thing to say to me because I've been on a mission now to keep, keep these two really, really busy. So Ali and Sana help with all sorts of things. Uh, they help running our housing project. Sana's helped organize a food project. Um, Ali's designing websites for us because I want them to feel, actually, we value you and we need you. And actually, you know, it, I'm really grateful for what they bring to us um, as a community and as a church family. So there's all sorts of ways to connect with people um, and to help people belong and feel involved. Uh, so we need to help people connect. We need to help equip people. And this is where we are so blessed by our experts in missions um, because we really need the help of people who know what they're doing cross-culturally. The great thing is, as people start to connect, they start to come to us and go, um, 
I don't really understand anything about how to talk to a Muslim about Jesus, so could you help us? Could you tell me? And you know, that's a much better way to train people because they're hungry to learn. Um, so we've been really blessed. We've got missionaries back from the field who are helping disciple um, our Afghan believers. We've got people who are preparing to go out to the field who are getting experience cross-culturally. Um, we've used Kairos. Some of you have done the Kairos course, Friendship First. We're learning how to do discovery Bible studies. Uh, we do some cross-cultural awareness training, all sorts of things to help equip just ordinary people in the church in how to um, love people cross-culturally. So we need some equipping, um, and uh, we need the help of our missions experts to do that. Um, and another way, of course, with connecting and making room in our lives is taking people on trips overseas. Um, Adam took a team of 10 just this last time. Um, what's really exciting is connecting that home and overseas mission. So people out there driving them around are people we also see in Derby. We went to the refugee camp sort of turned on our first trip to and said, oh, hello, we're, we'd like to come and just see what we could do to help. We felt a bit silly, really. We didn't have any official kind of badge or document. So that the, the guy in his army suit sort of looked at us and what do you want to do, and where are you from? We're from England, we're from Derby. Oh, you're from Derby, my relatives live in Derby. Turns out they live two streets away from us, they know us, they know our friends. So then, then we were good mates with the leader of the refugee camp. But, you know, God is doing that. You know, the, the world is getting smaller, and as the nations come to us, they're going to open doors for us back into their home countries. So that, that's very exciting. Um, we took Kezia, one, uh, our daughter, Adam, took Kezia on this last trip. And that was just great for expanding her heart and vision for missions. And if you can take your young people, then, then take them and give them a taste for uh, missions early on. So we need to make room in our hearts. Uh, we need to make room in our lives. And that's a challenge, isn't it? But, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the whole of our lives. You know, if we can just make a bit of room in that outer court... So, so maybe just say, okay, once a, once a month, I'm going to go and visit a family from another culture. Or once a month, I'm going to offer someone a lift um, from another culture. And the third thing is making room in our gatherings. How are we going to make room in our different gatherings, small, large, for people of other cultures? Because do you know that our church is culturally biased? Are you aware of that? Yeah, every church we have has a cultural bias. And obviously, we're in the UK, so our church has a, a British cultural bias. Um, but, you know, we, we need to make rooms so that we can start to experience some of the flavors um, of those other cultures. Um, we spent the last 12, I suppose, 12 years experimenting with what it was like to be a multicultural church. Um, we did that on quite a small scale when we were planting international church. There was about 35 of us. In 2009, we brought that back into our big gathering. Now, that's a bigger challenge when you've got a big church with a certain culture. How is that, that gathering of people going to make room for people of other cultures? So um, we've been having a go, really, um, the positive outcomes of, of bringing all our internationals into our larger meeting have been, have been many. Um, there's many more people in the church involved in cross-cultural ministry than before. Um, our worship has changed. People have faith that people from other cultural and religious backgrounds can come to know Jesus. 
when, when they start to see that there's more people getting baptized from a Muslim background in our church than from a white background. That's just a reality at the moment. And when people see it, they think, oh, maybe I could share Jesus with my friend at work from a Muslim background because it's not too hard. Yeah? They're within reach, um, these people groups. Um, at the same time as coming back together, we started launching some missional communities for the different ethnic groups in our church. So we had a lot of Iranians, so they have a missional community which enables them to worship in their heart language, to read the scriptures in their heart language. Um, we also started a missional community to help equip those with a particular focus on reaching out cross-culturally. Um, so people who are focused on um, reaching the Afghans and discipling them and seeing a missional community launched, uh, the Kurds. And that's a really good place where we pray and we begin a sort of a seedbed, really, for missional communities into different ethnic groups. We've just seen a Chinese missional community started, which is really great. Um, so, so lots of positive outcomes in, in our church being more multicultural. A lot of challenges. You're probably aware of what the challenges might be. So I was thinking, what are the challenges of bringing our cross-cultural work right into the center? Language is a challenge. Um, we have to have translations sometimes for different people groups. Sometimes people get a bit annoyed because they think people are chatting over there, whereas actually they're translating into different languages. Resources. Um, obviously, people often come here with very little, so financially that's a challenge to help resource um, those needs. Transport is an issue, and geography. Like us, you're a little way out of the city centre here, aren't you? So people getting here without a car is a real challenge. And we thought that two options, really. and Either, either we've got to plant a congregation uh, in the city centre, which we'd still really love to do to make it more accessible, or we, for the time being, we need to help people if they want to come to be part of our larger worship gatherings to get here. So on a Sunday morning, there is a whole army of people who are doing lifts, picking people up. And that's really good because that builds all builds relationship. So geography is a challenge. Integration. You know, we can have people from other cultures in our gatherings and yet not really talk to them. And uh, it's very easy for our Iranians to talk to each other and our Afghans and the other people not to. So we're trying to find lots of ways of mixing people up and encouraging people to get to know families, invite them back uh, for meals, meet them for coffee during the week. Uh, spiritual immaturity is an issue. These are people who have they've come a long way back. You know, they're, they're from a, um, other religious backgrounds. Um, so sometimes that causes tensions. It causes fallouts in the church. It causes fights. We had to have someone carried out of the meeting one Sunday morning before it started. All sorts of interesting, exciting things going on in our meetings. But the, I just think that's great. Jesus wants to make room for people of every nation in our gathering. And uh, we're just discovering the delight of having different kinds of worship, different flavors. Um, I don't know what your favorite food is. Probably most of the time uh, you eat British food. But if you only ate British food, can you imagine how boring that would be? But if you have British food and, and you sometimes have a bit of something else, you know, a bit of curry or, I don't know, something a bit spicy, it just so enriches our lives. And I think the reality is in our churches, the main flavor is going to be British, isn't it? But how great it is when we can just start to enjoy and experience different flavors of worship 
um, different kinds of music. I, I've got a vision to see different kinds of dance in the church from different cultures because I think that's an expression of the kingdom. We're not quite there yet, but we're just, we're just trying. Um, did you talk about gracism? No. Um, we, we like this word called gracism. It's kind of the opposite to racism. Gracism says we're going to go out of our way to um, favor, include, bless people of other cultures. And I think that's the kind of heart. It's, it, it's an extra effort, isn't it? it? It requires extra thinking. It requires extra um, kind of compassion in our hearts. But it's wonderful when we start to enjoy those different flavors of God's people in our, in our church gatherings, in our communities. We could try and just change our programs and structures but actually it's embracing people and relationship with people. Um, and it requires time, grace, creativity, love. But actually the fruit is that, that there's an unprecedented harvest, I think, that we could miss. And I think in this nation we've had waves of immigration. And I think at times we've really missed it. We've missed loving people. We've missed welcoming them. And they've really hardened their hearts to the gospel. And, you know, I don't, I think God doesn't want us to miss this opportunity. It's like, come on, in, in, I don't know, in 10 years' time, the Kurdish community will be very established, comfortable. Um, it's getting more, more, some groups are getting more entrenched in their religious position. Actually, we've got an opportunity when people come and they're saying, will these people welcome us to open our hearts, open our homes, open our lives, and open our hearts? Our gatherings together. People are hungry to come and be part of that. That was. Um, this isn't our Sunday meeting, but I'd love it to be. This this is in the Riverside Centre. It's a Kurdish New Year party. I love it because it's got our Easter cross up the back there. Um, but for me, I would love to see that in in our meetings. Expressions of different kinds of worship. Um, prayer has been a key for us. Praying faithfully for the nations. I don't know how many of you. Are you any of you doing your thirty days of prayer at the moment? I'm sure Len is. We, we, we love praying through the 30 days of prayer because it, it informs and equips us for the nations. We also have a Mahaba group in our... Uh, I know Mahaba has come from Oxford uh, to pray for particularly Muslim people in our city. So there's a harvest. The question is, will we allow God to soften our hearts, expand our, our thinking, expand our, um, our lives so that we can include people from other cultures. It's not hard to find people from other cultures, but it is a challenge to go that next step and say, will I be your friend? Will I spend a bit more time with you? Will I get to know you? And will I share my family and my life with you? So should we pray? Let's just ask. Without the Holy Spirit... This is just human effort, isn't it? We don't need that one up. Um, without the Holy Spirit, it's just human effort. But we need the Holy Spirit to come and just to, to soften our hearts. You know, I'm, I was brought up in a white middle-class family with all sorts of kind of racial... And at times I find those things right. Oh, why have they done that? Or that culture's like that. And I think, Lord, would you just break down my prejudice? Would you break down my British pride? Did you know we have British pride? We, we have a British pride that somehow thinks maybe we're better than other cultures. God just wants to break that. We're first and foremost citizens of heaven, aren't we? That's our citizenship. And God wants us to embrace his heart for other cultures. So should we pray? Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege you've given us of being involved in this amazing um, harvest amongst the nations. Lord, thank you for what you're doing uh, across the globe in revealing yourself to peoples that have never even heard of you before. Thank you for the unreached peoples that are becoming reached. Lord, and would you help us just to get your heart, Lord, for the nations. Would you help us to open our hearts? And as you're bringing the nations to us, Lord, would you help us to just make some room, move up a bit, make a bit of space in our lives to welcome and help uh, and embrace those people that you've brought to us. Lord, we don't want to miss this opportunity that you've given us. Lord, in whatever small way it is, Lord, we, we've all got limited time and resources, but would you do something in us that, that causes us to respond and say, yes, Lord, would you use me? Would you use me to be a friend uh, to someone? Maybe he's just arrived in this nation, doesn't know where to go or what to do. But help me to be and to respond to your call to love the alien and the stranger and to welcome them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you soften our hearts, Lord? Would you deal with any prejudice in our hearts, Lord? Would you deal with any pride in our hearts? Would you break down those barriers? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Jesus? Give us the Spirit of Jesus that loves the nations. Amen.